Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. We are entering into the Christmas season and uh, I can't wait for uh, these next couple of weeks as we here at Harvest Kale get to celebrate Christmas in a variety of different ways. Uh, Today we begin uh, a brand new series. Uh, This is our Christmas series. We're going to focus on Christmas themes over over the next few weeks. And the title of the series is It's a Boy. And uh, as we think about uh, what Christmas is all about, it's about the birth of Jesus. Come, put on flesh as a little baby boy, and and we're going to celebrate Jesus all throughout these next few uh, Sundays and Christmas services. And so, uh, it's a boy. Uh, Do you know how, like, when people get so excited about the, the baby that has just arrived and there's a birth announcement Uh, In the old days, they used to send out the little card to uh, various family members and friends. Now it's probably uh, a post on social media or a WhatsApp message of some sort that shows a picture of the brand new little baby and the celebration of the new life that has entered. Listen, when we uh, say it's a boy, we're celebrating a birth. So we're going to celebrate uh, three things in this series. We're going to celebrate adoption. We're going to celebrate grace. And we're going to celebrate Jesus on Christmas Eve. And so uh, the problem that I see here, though, is uh, that we don't celebrate as we should because we don't understand some key things about what I just mentioned, the three things I just mentioned. And so today, I want to give some clarity to uh, the issue of adoption. And why do we celebrate adoption? Why is that part of the Christmas story and the Christmas themes? And we're going to dig in uh, to the book of Galatians today, chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there now? It's going to take us a few moments to get there. But today's message is called Celebrate Adoption. So let me ask you, uh, what, do, what kind of affection do parents exhibit to their newborn babies right when they're born? Can you think of some characteristics of what parents do when their new baby arrives? So I have three children, and I remember each of the births of my kids. And I remember the first child that we had, I was helping my wife in the delivery room and the little baby arrived, the little boy arrived, and there was just this pop in my heart and this new level of understanding of how you could actually love another human being occurred right then and there at that instant. And I cried, and I'm not a crier in life, I don't cry about much in life, but I cried and they were tears of joy and just overwhelming emotion. And this idea that I would commit to love this little baby, that I was going to protect this little child, that I was gonna cherish him, that I was gonna help him and teach him and cuddle with him, and we were gonna throw, throw balls and kick balls and have fun and just do life together. And, and there was just this incredible, uh, just overwhelming nature of love for that child. And, and when you're a parent and you have one kid, you think, wow, that. I'm not sure that we could ever love a child more than the first time. And, and then you have a second child and it, 
pop again, there's a new explosion in your heart and new space created. And you love that child just as much. And, and I cried tears of joy for my second child. Same thing, just this overwhelming uh, love for this individual. And then the same thing, third child, pop, new, new space to love at a depth that I never knew that I had before. Uh, and in that, we see how parents, just their affection towards their kids, when, especially when that new baby arrives. So why then is it that, that this description of how parents love their babies when they first arrive, why is that often not our experience when we have a, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Why is it that we oftentimes struggle to believe that our Heavenly Father has that same kind of love that a human father and mother has for their little baby we often struggle. We often feel like that's not how God loves us. We think it, it couldn't be true that, that God would love us the way that a father loves his new little baby. And that's because we have distorted views of our relationship with God. Uh, now, I, I don't know what your relationship with God is. Maybe you've had a long relationship with him. Maybe it's a new relationship with him. Maybe it's one where he's still inviting you, but you really haven't defined that relationship in a way that you, you're actually together in a relationship. You're not a Christian yet. You're searching that out. Whatever it is, we oftentimes, no matter what stage we're in, still have wrong views of what a relationship with God is. And that's because a relationship with God often lacks tangibility. We, we can't touch God. He's, he's spirit. He's not body. And so we, we don't see him in front of us. It's not like we sit down across the table with a drink and have a conversation. And because of that lack of tangibility, we have oftentimes distorted our understanding of what a relationship with God is. We, we, because of guilt and shame in our life, have distorted uh, views of God. Because of other voices that have pushed into our life about who God is. And uh, he, he's big, he's a bully, he doesn't care. Or he, he just, he just kind of creates things and, and, and then doesn't get involved. Or whatever the voices are, the, the reality is we need help. We need help to understand what a relationship with God really is. And Christmas gives us that opportunity. If there's one thing that I see Christmas being of great value, it's that in many ways, in many different ways, the same theme repeats over and over where we see how God feels about us, about you and I. And so we're going to look at that today and try to understand that a little bit more. And, and, and the main idea that I want to bring us through here this morning is, to, is this, that the key to living loved is understanding how I have been adopted into the family of God. Now, our mission statement at Harvest KL is that we would glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And we often define that second part even a little bit further. We want to glorify God by making disciples who live loved and sent. What does it mean to live loved? Well, I would suggest that, and, and what we're going to see here today, is that a proper orientation to God and to life and to myself only happens when I live from a place that is secure in God's love. If I doubt this, if I doubt God's love, if I'm not living loved, I'm living a life of pain. 
So we must deeply understand God's affections and emotions and feelings towards us. Without these, we are often overcome by distorted views of salvation and and our renewal with him and and who he is in his character and what life is and and how I relate to all of that. Many of life's problems are the result of living unloved, living out of a misunderstanding of how God has loved us. And so today we're going to look again, Galatians chapter, chapter 4 is going to guide us here this morning and a number of other scriptures. It's a boy. We're, we're beginning the celebration and the focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate that. And today, because, because of our adoption into God's family. So I'm going to ask the question a couple of different times. How do we celebrate our adoption into the family of God? We'll write this down. Number one this morning, we start here. First, see the beauty of adoption into God's family. If we're going to celebrate the adoption into God's family, we need to see the beauty of that adoption. We need to understand the importance of of adoption and that understanding of how it fits into our relationship with God. Because here's the thing, if you don't have an understanding of of this theme of adoption, then you don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. That's maybe seemingly a little bit of a hard comment, but, but help me here in a second. Just work with me for a second. If we have distorted views of our relationship with God and distorted views of our adoption into his family, can you begin to understand why you might not truly understand the fullness of Christianity? I mean, think about what distorts our, our view of this relationship. Well, I would say that our experience with parents we all have parents, right? And, and so our parents, many of us have had wonderful parents, but nobody's parents are perfect. And so uh, if a parent loses their temper, if a parent is absent or demands perfection, if a parent is easily irritated, we begin to think that God's that way. If, if a parent has let you down and broken promises, we don't think God is faithful. If a parent has lacked wisdom, we, we think that we shouldn't follow authority in our life and, and even God. And if a parent shows us conditional love, meaning they love you if you do certain things for them, it's not unconditional, then we put those things into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I think another thing that distorts our view of this is really ourself. If we parent in a certain direction, we often think that that's the way that God parents as well. Or or even if we're not yet parents, but we just understand how we are around kids and how irritated we get, how frustrated we get, how out of touch we are, how how we don't love unconditionally. We, We begin to think that maybe the Lord also loves in that way as well. J.I. Packer uh, actually is a a, uh, excellent theologian and he, he said it this way. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. 
What, what, what J.I. Packer here is saying is, is he's talking about how important it is that we understand our adoption into the family of God. So think about adoption for a little bit. Adoption is, is that event when there, there's a child that no longer has parents who are caring for him for whatever reason. And another family, another set of parents, brings them into their family and treats them as one of their own children. Even though there's biological bloodlines that are different, that child becomes, in, in the best form of adoption, uh, another son or daughter in that family treated equally and just like all the other children in that way. That, that's what adoption is. And so one of my good friends um, has uh, four kids. Two of them are adopted kids. And, and one of the uh, kids is adopted. And, and it's the result of brokenness. The reason we need adoption is because there's a, a broken uh, system that, that really contributed. And so uh, one of his boys, his, his mom just really fell into an addiction and, and ultimately uh, um, died. And, and she needed a new, he needed a new home. And another one of his kids, uh, just a young mom, got pregnant unexpectedly, uh, wasn't within marriage, and the couple decided to give the baby up for adoption. And in that, we see that brokenness is often what has caused the need for adoption to happen. And all of us, uh, being adopted into God families, brokenness has occurred that uh, causes us to not belong to a healthy family. And so that's uh, what we need. And and yet the amazing thing about adoption into God's family is that we get to be included in the same relationship that the son has with the father. When when we are adopted, listen, if if you want to see the beauty of adoption, you, you in, in faith in Jesus Christ, you get to see that the relationship that Jesus has with God the Father is the same relationship that we are invited into in the adoptive process. When we talk about adoption into the family of God, we're saying that Jesus loves me and that he's my big brother and that we both have the same dad. That's beautiful. In that, I would just suggest to you three things that really I, I see that are really helpful to see in identifying the beauty of the gospel. The first is the beauty of adoption, adoption is that there is security. So there, there's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 12. It says this, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rest between his shoulders. You ever think about that? Maybe just a mental image in your picture of a, of a father holding his newborn baby between his shoulders, right? And, and there's just that protection and security and, and the, the, the big burly uh, father is, uh, and all his muscles is holding this little tiny helpless baby, right? Or maybe it's this way where the father, you think about a father who, who is playing with his little three-year-old child, and, and what they're doing is he, the, the child runs at him and he picks up the child and throws her in the air and then, and then catches her and puts her back down. She runs away and then she, run, and, and then she runs back at him and says, Daddy, Daddy, more, more, let's do it again. And why would she ask again to be thrown into the air? It's because she trusts the father will catch her. You see, when you have this right relationship with a father, you realize the security that is there that you're willing to let the father throw you into the air because you trust the father, because he's protective, he's, he's giving you security. So one of the uh, interesting pictures in the New Testament with the Jesus and the disciples, we see John, 
the beloved disciple is what he's labeled at, at the Passover t- scene, right at the end of Jesus's life. And, and where do we see John? John, it says, was leaning on Jesus as they were reclining and eating. He was leaning on Jesus, resting secure in, in his adoption, in the security of knowing Jesus as his father. Listen, that's God's heart for all of us. But like the rest of the disciples who, who didn't take advantage of that, John is the one who was resting in that place. The rest of them were, were sitting proper, if you will. But John saw the beauty of, of, of adoption and was able to rest securely as a result of it. Another picture of uh, uh, the beauty of adoption comes from a quote by uh, the great preacher uh, D.M. Lo- uh, Lloyd-Jones. He says this, God no longer... God is no longer to us a distant God. He is not merely a God in whom we believe intellectually, theologically, theoretically, doctrinally only. All this is possible to one who is not a child of God at all. Our worship and praying are spontaneous. It is the spontaneity of the child who sees the Father, and not only spontaneity, but confidence. A little child has confidence. He does not analyze it. He knows that Abba is his father. Grown-ups may be standing back at a distance and being very formal with some great personage, but the little child comes running in, rushes right in, and, and holds on to his father's legs. He has a right that no one else has. It is instinctive. We cry, Abba, Father. You see, when you have an understanding of adoption, you see the beauty of the confidence to enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, the greatest personality, and you don't have to stand back in respect because you're his child. You can run in and grab his legs and he will accept you. There's no penalty for that. A third beauty I want you to see is the beauty, the beauty of adoption is enjoyment. And again, another quote from the same man. He says it this way, Picture a man walking along a road with his little boy, holding hands, father and son, son and father. The little boy knows that the man is his father and that his father loves him. But suddenly the father stops, picks up the boy, lifts him up into his arms, embraces him, and kisses him. The boy is no more a son when he is being embraced than he was before. The father's action has not changed the status of the boy, but oh, the difference in the enjoyment. The beauty of adoption is the enjoyment that we can have with the father. You see, when we have this kind of intimate relationship, the security, the confidence, we can enjoy the relationship. Listen, the little boy, he wasn't less of a son when he was holding his dad's hand and they were walking calmly. But wow, the enjoyment of the playfulness of a father who is, who is enamored and adores his little son. And yet we oftentimes fail to live out of that posture, out of that reality. We say that we're believers, we say that we're in Christ, but we, we're distant in our relationship with our father. And we've, we've kind of held him at arm's length, or we haven't been certain that we could have this kind of security and confidence and enjoyment. And so we've never tried to have this kind of relationship. Why do we have an easier time operating like orphans than dearly loved children? Why is it that it's easier to live unloved as an orphan rather than loved as a child of the king? 
Maybe it's because we don't know that that's even a possibility. Maybe it's because we've not been taught this from God's word. And we, maybe it's because we have never experienced this kind of relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's likely there's been some sort of hurt in life that has caused us to not even imagine that this is actually a possibility. Or sometimes just stubbornly, we think that we have a better way of relating to God and it's on our terms. So we don't ask for God's way of doing these things. In all of that, we have distortions about our relationship with God. And really today, what I'm trying to introduce to you in this sermon and in this series is the application. We need to clarify the distortions of your adoption into God's family. We need to take the things that are distorted and misshapen, and we need to be able to see very clearly, correctly, what that actually is. This is the purpose of our Christmas sermon series. This is the purpose of the message today. And in this, I would just encourage you to examine yourself. If you're going to clarify the distortions, you need to know that you're what the distortions are, and you need to examine yourself against what Scripture has to say. You need to let Scripture search you and search your way of thinking. And if there's something that's different, it's distorted, it's out of order, that you would bring that back into order by believing and repenting and following after in obedience what God's Word says in these things. That's because we're trying to learn how to celebrate Jesus at Christmas. We want to celebrate adoption into God's family. And so we need to see a second point here this morning. Write this down. Trust the offer of adoption. So we need the Bible to explain our adoption. If we're going to come to the spot where we can trust the offer of adoption, if we're going to see that, that we've been given an offer of adoption, we need to hear it from God himself. We need to hear it from the scriptures and from his word. And so turn in your Bibles to, if you haven't already, to Galatians chapter 4. And let, let's read verses 4 to 7 together. And then I'm going to ask you some questions that I'm going to have you answer. But let's just get familiar with the verses first. Notice in Galatians 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we're gonna, I'm, I want to, what I want to do is I want to ask you seven questions to help us understand this particular uh, passage of Scripture. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all seven of them first. I want you to just look at the verses that I've just said, starting in verse 4. And I'll lead you a little bit and just answer the questions uh, among whoever that you're sitting with. Or, or just write it down if you're watching this alone. So question number one, when the time had fully come in verse four, what did God do for us? And then what three descriptions are given for Jesus in verse four? Do you see them there? Go ahead, keep looking at your scripture here. Look at verse five. What was the first thing God did for us through Jesus? And then not to be confused, look at the second half of verse 5. What was the second thing God did for us that comes out of this first thing? And then next, because the second thing, 
Because of the second thing, what was the third thing that God did for us in verse 6? Are you tracking along? Rapid fire questions here. Again, continue to look at the second half of verse 6. Because of the third thing, what was the fourth thing that God did for us? Can you identify it? And then last question, verse 7. Because of the fourth thing, what was the fifth thing that God did for us? So that was just a quick way through that. Now let's go back and let's, uh, I'm going to ask again, but let's answer these things as well. So the first question, when the time had fully come, what did God do for us? Now it's interesting. A lot of people make, uh, make a big deal out of this in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, right? We see the answer here. God sent his son. Now, now, the fullness of time, a lot of people think it's, well, there was a common language with the Roman Empire. There were roads all over. And listen, I don't think God came because history created those things. I think God created the Roman Empire in history to create the opportunity for the fullness of time for God to bring his son into the world. So what did God do at the fullness of time? Well, that's Christmas. That, at the fullness of time, he sent his son. Now, he had sent Moses... He had sent prophets before and others, but this time it's different. At the fullness of time, he's sending his own son. Now, let's continue to question number two. What three descriptions are given for Jesus in verse four? So notice here, <coughs> when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law. So first we see that it's, Jesus is God's son, which means Jesus is divine. Second, we see that he's born of a woman. That means Jesus was born as a human. And then third, it says he was born under the law. And that means that he is the second Adam. He's the second representative for humanity. Just like Adam was our representative at the beginning, now he, this is the second Adam. Jesus is our representative before God is what we're going to see, what was going to see. So we got the first two questions answered. Now look at question three. We kind of get a chronology of things that begin to happen here. What was the first thing God did for us through Jesus according to verse five? It says that he redeemed those who were under the law. So he redeems us is the answer. Redeeming means to pay back. It means to, to pay off the debt. But, but it's also interesting that, that in redeeming us, he didn't just get us back to zero in our bank account. He also uh, justified us, which means he, he, he gave us his righteousness. He, he added, uh, deposited into our account righteousness so that is our standing before God. We're not at zero in the bank account with God. We're at Jesus's righteousness. That's billions of righteousness, if you will, uh, because Jesus is perfect. Jesus was the human who obeyed the law for righteousness and died for us, taking God's wrath and redeeming us from the effects and bondage of sin. So Jesus here in redeeming us, that was the first thing here. What's the second thing that God did for us that comes out of this first thing? Notice it goes on to say, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The next thing is that he adopts us. 
Now, now there's a logic to what's being said here, and I, and I want you to see this logic. The logic is this. God can't have us as his sons. Uh, he can't adopts, uh, adopt us unless we are perfect. So Jesus had to perform the work of bringing us to perfection before we could be brought into his family. So next question, we'll, we'll put this all together in a moment. Because of this second thing, this adoption, what was the third thing God did for us? Again, look at the beginning of verse 6. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So, so this third thing that He did is that He gave us His Spirit. Now we're going to talk at the end of the message a little bit more about that and why that's so important. But the, the point is He gave us His Spirit. So because of this third thing in giving us the Spirit, what was the fourth thing that God did? Notice there's a chronology of things that are happening in these verses. Well, it says here at the end of verse 6 that He sent the Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we see here that the fourth thing is that He sent the Spirit to live inside of us. Notice, to create an intimacy of relationship between God and me. God moves forward to us in His Spirit, and then He moves us toward Himself through the prayerfulness of the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the most powerful thing about the Holy Spirit is not some sort of signs or wonders or amazing works. It's that He creates intimacy between the Father and us. So then there's one more thing. Because of that fourth thing, what's the fifth thing that God did according to verse 7? Look again at the scripture. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, the Spirit makes us sons, and that means that we are co-heirs with Christ. So you remember at the beginning of the message, I said that the, the amazing thing about adoption is that we get to have the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father? This is why, right here, that the Spirit takes us and we're no longer slaves, but we get to be adopted as sons, as family members, and therefore we are co-heirs with Jesus. Notice the logic of everything that these verses are putting together. We see that, first of all, God redeems us through Jesus Christ. And then He adopts us as His sons. That's two. And then He sends His Spirit. That's three. So number four, there's intimacy of relationship between us. And then therefore, five, an inheritance. We are heirs with Jesus in that. In all of this, I want you to notice the intimacy of relationship that is being formed. Listen, if, if, if we trust the offer of adoption that's given to us, you don't have to be an orphan anymore. You don't have to be alienated in relationship with God. You can be part of the family. You can belong. And instead of fighting and defending for yourself, you get to have the Father, God the Father, the, the creator of the universe. He gets to be your Father, your protector and your comfort and, and your security, your confidence and your joy. You see, when we understand our position, when we understand what we have been given by being adopted into the family of God, we can live loved. It's what God wants. It's what, it's what God intends. He, he wants you to see the, the amazing joy and benefit of being a part of His family and live out of that position. That's what He's trying to do 
Listen, living loved is not some arrogant bravado. It's not some self-centered thinking that, that you just create for yourself. It's realizing the humbling effect of being given this opportunity, this amazing gift, seeing what God has done for you, and then out of gratitude, living in light of the gift of, the ado- of adoption. But that only comes when you believe in Jesus. So listen, when I say trust in the offer of adoption, listen, this is the application. It's believe Jesus. Now, now two things. One, you may have never believed Jesus yet in your life. And so this would be a, a step of receiving what God is gi- even giving to you right now in this message and putting your faith in him, converting to, to the faith uh, of following Jesus. Or it could also be something that you have put your faith in Jesus, but you never really understood what it means to be an adopted child. And so you have to believe in the newness of this reality, that, that this is not an offer that's too good to be, to be given, that this isn't going to have some sort of carpet ripped out from underneath you and it's just some, some facade, some fake thing, that you have to believe in the fullness of this. Otherwise, we live as orphans. And a life of an orphan, not only is it very difficult, it's very destructive. Orphans never fully trust anybody. They're always skeptical. They're always on edge. They never find rest. They have not received love, so so they don't know how to live loved. They really have a hole in their ability to love others. They know they're supposed to. They, they try their best in their own ways, but they don't understand love and the ability to love in the fullness that God has created. And so they can't celebrate. Oh, they can, they can, they can have little vignettes of celebration, little shadows of celebration. It even seems real and great in the moment, but, but they can't celebrate in the fullness of the way that God has created them. And so there's, there's always this vacuum within those of us who don't understand our sonship. We're always living in fear and never in the security and confidence of the ability to do that. Listen, today is really an invitation. It's an invitation to believe that this gift is the greatest gift that is given. The gift of Jesus Christ. The gift of the fact that God sent forth his son into the world to redeem you. To, to, to take the price of your sin and pay for it. He's already done that, paid in full. If you would look to him in faith and believe in him, you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's, it's a gift. It's something that's just given to you. If you would begin to receive that, to live out of this position before God, that you can be an adopted family member with all the benefits and all the inheritance that that entails, Listen, that happens when somebody puts their trust in Jesus and says, listen, I'm not going to trust myself anymore. I'm not going to trust any other religion or any other philosophy. I recognize that the, that the way to be adopted, that the, 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 the judge says that, that you can be adopted when you put your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Listen, if that's something that you've never done, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day that you could do that. Simply submitting yourself saying, God, I see that you're inviting me into your family to be adopted. And I know that it's based upon faith upon Jesus. I put my trust in him. Would you do that if you've never done that before? Or or if you've done that, but you've never understood what it truly means to live loved. You've never understood the realities of adoption. 
Would you today put your trust in a new way into, into believing that you are deeply loved, fully secure, that you can live confidently under the, the reign and rule of Christ. There's no longer a need to fear for your security, to perform and to try to look good, that you can just have confidence that you can rest. And he has taken care of everything to make you acceptable. You can do that today. In all of this, notice the Holy Spirit was mentioned here. And the question becomes, what is the Spirit's job when it comes to our adoption? And I want to answer that question because it's incredibly important to understand this, to to live loved. So write this down. Number three this morning, uh, if we're going to celebrate our adoption, we need to, three, embrace the intimacy of adoption. So the question, what's the Spirit's job when it comes to our adoption? Well, the Spirit's job is to bring intimacy. The Spirit creates intimacy between us and the Father. And I want to unpack that a little bit because so many times people believe in God, but they're not actually fully embracing Him and the relationship that's there. And that's because they think that God is distant and formal and royal and otherworldly. But notice, that's not at all what it says here. In verse 6, it says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba is probably literally translated into English as Daddy. He is Daddy. He is Papa. He is Abba. So I want to look at four key scriptures to help us unpack this understanding, uh, not only of adoption, but how the Holy Spirit creates this intimacy so that you and I can live loved. Uh, Let's start right here. We're going to start with John chapter 20, verse 17. In John chapter 20, verse 17, we see an incredible statement. It goes like this. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, this statement is being made after the resurrection. John chapter 20, the the resurrection has already occurred. And Jesus is speaking here, and, and he says something for the first time that's never been said before. In all of his time on earth, in all of his teaching to the disciples, he's never said this. But now he's showing something incredibly important in talking to this lady. Notice what he says. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father. Wait a second. My father and your father? How's that possible? Listen, he's just resurrected. He's just defeated sin and death. And, and, and for those who believe in him, you can, he can be your father too, is what he's saying. This is the first time that Jesus ever refers to God as not only his father, but your father and my father as well. I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So so we can notice this key scripture here. God can be your father too, is what Jesus is saying. 
Now here's another scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you are a co-heir with Christ, if you are a brother with Christ because you've been adopted into the family, you get to share in his inheritance. And if we're a co-heir with Christ, we will inherit the heavens and the earth with Jesus. This is the, uh, the, in him we have obtained this inheritance. This is what is going to be given because you're part of the family, not because you've done anything. So uh, one of the uh, families in, uh, in this world, the Mars family, is, is one of the richest families in the world. Uh, they, they make the Mars bars and M&Ms and Snickers, and actually they have a whole pet food di- di- division. And, and the Mars family is worth... Listen, if we put it in ringgit, they're worth 4 billion ringgit. They're the third richest family in the United States. And it's interesting. They're actually pretty respectable. They're, they're actually rather quite private. They don't like to be out and about. Uh, they, they, they're actually live in kind of modest homes and, and live modest lives. They, they seem to have kind of their act together in all of this. Um, but, but it's interesting. The richest members of their family... The richest members did very little to make their wealth. It's actually their grandfather who did all the work, not even their parents, but but their grandparents. The the grandfather is the one that started the company and built the family, built the company and built it up. and, And he became rich and therefore his children became rich too. So imagine, just for a second, imagine that there's a knock at your door and it's a surprise visitor. They're very well dressed in, in, in suits and, and there's a few suits behind him as well. And, and he, he begins to talk to you. He says, hello, sir. Um, um, are you Mr. or Mrs. whatever your name is? Uh, it says, it turns out you were adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Mars upon birth. I have the papers right here and he pulls them out and and I have the key to your mansion and and the password to your bank accounts. You are a Mars. Now, first you're suspicious and you think that it's some sort of some sort of prank or some sort of something that's going on. But then you begin to look at the papers and you realize that this is for real. Could there be anything greater? Well, yes, there's something much better than that. That you are a co-heir with Christ. It's not the same as a wealthy earthly family. You are children of the living and true God. Listen, the, the imagination is just a game to help us understand that this is the inheritance. This is what happens when you're adopted into God's family. You are co-heirs of the living God. And there's no greater benefit than that. So here's a third scripture I I want us to examine this morning, and it's found in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those 
who ask him. So, so notice what this verse is saying. The fa- this verse is saying that the Father is on a mission, that, that God is on a mission, and that that mission is for you to enjoy adoption into his family. And, and so he's given a job to the Holy Spirit. What's that job? It's to create an intimate relationship with God the Father. And the result here is this incredible security that, that how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Listen, there, there's no greater gift. This is the best thing that could ever happen, that He would send the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is why Jesus said in John, it's better that I go away because I get to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to create an intimacy and a relationship with God. That's His role. That's what His purpose is. We've seen that in Galatians. And yet there's something more that comes from that as, even as well. In Romans chapter 8, there's this beautiful passage that says this, verses 14 to 17. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Do you see why the gift in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, the gift the Father will send the Holy Spirit, why that's such an amazing gift, why that's way better than having the Mars family show up and say that you're part of the, you've been adopted to the Mars family, that being adopted into the family of God is so much better? 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Listen, suffering on this earth, (laughs) praise God. (laughs) When we suffer with Him, we, we get to be glorified with Him. It's just temporary for this little time, right? But, but the thing I really want you to see here is, is the comparison between who is crying Abba Father between Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8. So in Galatians chapter 4, it said in verse 6 that the spirit of his son was, uh, uh, that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father. The spirit is in our heart crying out Abba Father. Who, who's the one that's crying out? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts, crying out, building that intimacy with the Father. But notice what happens in Romans chapter 8. It says here in verse 15, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So who's crying Abba, Father in verse 15 of Romans 8? It's not the Spirit any longer. It's us. We cry, Abba, Father. We have been taught by the Spirit because we believed in Jesus Christ. Listen, the Spirit started crying out and then He taught us how to cry out. Listen, it doesn't take the Holy Spirit. Now it's my heart crying out because I have an intimate relationship with God. I've embraced the intimacy of adoption so that now my my heart is the one that is crying out. The greatest privilege after adoption is that we draw close to the Father and cry out provides great security and great hope and great rest. We have access to the God of the universe. We can be secure. And that's why the application is to rest in your position in God's family. 
You know, we, we fight and we're anxious about so many things in life. I mean, the, the wheels are always tur turning in our heads. Our hearts are always out of sorts because we're trying to position ourselves properly. But when we understand our position in the family of God, when you understand that you've been adopted, listen, not just redeemed, not just justified, not, not just forgiven and, and be given righteousness, but relationship with the Father, adopted. The greatest privilege that we have is the adoption into the family of God. We can rest in our position in God's family. No matter what the circumstance is, it doesn't matter what the crisis is, any crisis, any problem, you can rest secure in your relationship with your Father. To do that, we have this privilege to grow in how we rest in our relationship. And I would just, just point to three things that we should regularly be doing that provides the rest. Because it's possible to understand that you are an adopted into God's family and be not at rest. And to be in circumstances and crisis and problems that really churn your heart on the inside. It doesn't have to be that way, but I just acknowledge that that, that can happen. And when that happens, I would suggest this. This is how you rest. You First of all, you remind yourself of who God is. And that's best done by meditating on His Word and in prayer. Listen, when we, when we get into God's Word and we read God's Word, we're hearing what He has to say, and that gives rest. And then when we're praying, we're telling Him what's on our hearts, and that gives rest. Meditate. Remind yourself of who God is in His Word. Second, or secondly, review the truth of God's Word. So many times, the, the problem that brings us not to rest is that we are believing lies. And to counter that, we need to know what the truth is. And when we see the truth, when we understand the truth and the character of the one who has given that truth, it brings rest. And then number three, repent. Sometimes we just have to acknowledge, God, I'm in your family, but I've been acting like an orphan. God, God you've given me all the security I need, but I've been fearing that hasn't been right. God, God, you've given me the confidence of being in your family, but I'm so insecure. I'm, I'm acting like an orphan again. God, you've given joy, but I've chosen to turn my back on you and run away from you instead of towards you. God, I, I was wrong. I repent. I've been living unloved. And I recognize, God, you want to, you're calling disciples who live loved because they're adopted. Listen, at the fullness of time, at just the right time, the thing that we're celebrating right now, Christmas, Jesus was sent into the world. Why? To redeem us. But not just to redeem us, to, to bring us into his family. It's possible that God could have saved us and then turned his back and said, my work is done, well, I'll catch up with you later. But he doesn't do that. He's calling you and seeking you and wanting that intimate relationship. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit to create that intimacy with him. If you would meditate on that, if you would review the truth, if you would repent of the wrong things, that the obstacles to that understanding, you would rest in your position in the family of God. You would live loved. The key to living loved is understanding how I have been adopted into the family of God. 
So a story maybe to bring this home here today. <coughs> Marianne Bird grew up knowing she was different and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate and when she started to go to school, her classmates who were constantly teasing made it clear to her how she must look to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and a hollow, somewhat garbled speech. She couldn't even blow up a balloon without holding her nose, and when she bent to drink from the fountain, the water spilled out of her nose. When her schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? She'd tell them that she'd fallen as a baby and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. By the age of seven, she was convinced that no one outside of her family could ever love her or even like her. And then she entered the second grade and Miss Leonard's class. She never knew what her first name was, just Mrs. Leonard. She was a round, pretty and fragrant with chubby arms and shiny brown hair and warm dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasions when her mouth didn't. Everyone adored her, but no one came to love her more than Marianne did and for a special reason. The time came for the annual hearing test given at school. Marianne was barely able to hear anything out of one ear and was not about to reveal yet another problem that would single her out as different, and so she cheated. She had learned to watch other children and raised her hand when they did during group testing. The whisper test, however, required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and the teacher would whisper something from her desk, which the child would then repeat. Then the same thing was done for each for the other ear. Marianne had discovered in kindergarten that nobody checked to see how tightly the untested ear was being covered, so she merely prevent, pretended to block her ears. As usual, she was last, but all through the test, she wondered what Mrs. Leonard might say to her. She knew from previous years that she whispered things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? Her turn came up. She turned her bad ear to, to her plugging up the other solidly with her finger and then gently backed her finger out enough to be able to hear. She waited and then she heard the words that God had surely put into her mouth, seven words that changed her life forever. Mrs. Leonard, the pretty, fragrant teacher Marianne adored, said softly, I wish you were my little girl. You and I are not born with cleft palates. We're born with cleft hearts. We are broken, misshapen. We have hearts that are not up to the task. That leads to lives that are broken and misshapen and not up to the task. But that doesn't change God's heart towards us. Put your heart in Jesus today, no matter how deficient your performance is. He says to you, I'm so glad that you are mine. The true and living God has not only forgiven you and justified you, but most wonderfully of all, he has adopted you. He has brought you close, as close as can be, all the way into his family. You are forgiven and justified, but more than anything else, you are a child, the son of the living God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the clarity that it brings, the, the teaching that it shows us. God, we, we didn't know that we were adopted into your family, but Lord, your, your word has told us that. 
And so, Lord, we, we fall on our knees and, and we praise you for the night that Christ was born. Lord, he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have been adopted and that we have brotherhood with Jesus and family relationship with you as a father. Lord, would you teach us how to rest in our position in you? Lord, we want to live loved. Help us to have a right understanding of our adoption into your family and to live out of that light. Lord, that's how you've designed it. That's how you desire that we would be dependent completely on you. Lord, we praise you. We praise you. We celebrate that Jesus is our brother. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.